0: The other day, I'm sitting at my house in Little Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've got my computer up, and I'm Skyping with one daughter in South Africa who's seven hours ahead. So she's turning in, or in the middle of her day, and I'm just getting up. And then I'm texting another daughter who's in Alaska who's three hours behind, and in the middle of that, I'm getting a a Facebook prompt from a friend in Russia who's trying to to link in and talk at that same time. And I'm, I'm sitting on my couch in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm connected to all these places and all these people seemingly by magic. I, I really don't understand how it all works. It, it just seems like magic to me. And uh, even though it seems like magic, it also, in another way, seems perfectly normal. It's, it's amazing how quickly we adapt to that technology, isn't it? How quickly we just expect that that will work. I remember the first time Jane and I traveled to the former Soviet Union, it was $5 a page to send a fax. And you had to wait all day in the office to get up to be able to send that page of fax. And now, how many different ways can I just instantly pick up a device and talk without... The thing is, we become quickly dependent on that ability to connect, don't we? And so when the internet goes down, or you forget, I mean, God forbid, you forget your cell phone when you leave the house. How many of you have had that moment of just terror, panic, right? You get on the highway, and you, re- and you read, and you realize you don't have your cell phone. Or you go somewhere out of service, I mean, you, you actually go somewhere that you cannot connect with your cell phone or with the internet. It, it, it just strikes this terror in your life. And I was talking, it's funny, I was talking with uh, James and Allison just as we come up here. You, your mind, you instantly start to create scenarios in your mind. Why didn't they pick up? What am I going to do? What's happening? I've I, I sent a text. They haven't responded right away. Oh my gosh, they've, they've been in a wreck. Um, what's happened, you know? <laughs> to this thing. We we start to panic when we feel disconnected when we assume we should be able to connect. Well, what happens to us now almost on a minute-by-minute basis is what was happening, I believe, to the people of Israel in our story. See, that feeling of Panic, when we're not able to connect, has been with us all along. It's just been sped up by technology. But it's not new to technology, as we'll see in our text. So pray with me as we dive in this morning. Father, we assume connection right now. We assume we have service. That you're listening. And we pray. God, make us present to your spirit. Take away the anxiety, the fear, the distraction. And let us rest in your presence, your connectivity to us. As we study this text and seek to Respond in obedience and love through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father in Jesus name amen so we're looking at exodus thirteen or exodus thirty two sorry exodus thirty two this morning starting at verse one and in some ways this is an incredibly complex story this this story doesn't happen just randomly it is the result of a lot of movement that's led up to this and it's going to continue to result in effects after that. So it's a complex setting, but at the same time, it's a really simple story. I think the idea is pretty simple here, or the ideas that I want to present this morning and explore. So let's look at that, starting in 32. Moses, or let me preface this, Moses has gone up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. He, he's led the people out. Moses, through the plagues and the, and the splitting of the Red Sea and the fire by night and the pillar by day, In the manna, in the wilderness, God, Moses has led the people out to wilderness to worship, finally to get to do what they've wanted to do, to be in the wilderness, to worship the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After 400 years of captivity, they get to the place where they get to fulfill their destiny in God. Moses goes up on the mountain, and then we pick up the story here. When the people saw Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Get up. Make us gods that will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Break off the gold earrings that are from your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the gear, gold earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He accepted the gold from them, fashioned it with the engraving tool, and made a molten calf. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow will be a feast of the Lord. So they got up early on the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and drink. And they rose up to play, and I've got to say, time out. As you read this story, you go, wait, what? Hold, did we just read what we read? This is the people who were just delivered out of slavery. 400 years of slavery. This is a people who just saw their God, the God of Moses, visit earth shattering plagues upon their enemies. They were delivered without striking a blow of the sword. They did not rise up in revolution and send off their sons to be slaughtered in war. No, they sat back basically and God delivered them by fighting for them. By the end of it, they were, the, the people of Egypt were so ready to get these Israelites out of their midst, they threw gold at them. Where has that ever happened? Where has a victorious people won by never raising a sword, never dropping a bomb, never firing a shot, and yet won such a decisive victory that the people that they conquered were throwing money at them as they left. Not only that, but this people goes into the wilderness, and God shows up in Magnificent, tangible effects of opening the waters of the sea, standing before them in an all encompassing horizon of fire and smoke, feeding them miraculously without them gathering. And then what happens? At the first chance, at the first chance that they feel disconnected, what rises up in them is what rises up in all of us, right? Wait, I can't get a hold of him. He should be here. I can't get a hold of him. What's happened? What well, do you think he got in a car wreck? Do you think, do you think she's left me? Do, do, has she got other friends now? Like, am I not important anymore? Like something. I, I don't I don't know what, what's what's happened. I, I'm I'm not connected. I, I can't sense it. Where where am? What, where is he? What's going on? We've all felt that. We all feel that. And what is, what is a bit anxiety-producing and personal just in our person, when you spread that out among a people, when that anxiety becomes momentous among a society, you see what happens. Look at what happens. Not only do, are they anxious about the history, are about their present, they rewrite their history. One of the most shocking things about this whole passage is the way they they make the golden calf and then they say, this is the God who brought us out. They, They rewrite their history. They write the true God out of history and put their own God of their making into history with this. People, what we see here and it's easy, it's easy. I've heard so many, so many sermons that that seem to make the people of Israel here seem stupid. Like, <laughs> ha, look at those stupid people. Look how quickly they forgot God. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, right. Come on. This is us. This is us. That fear comes in, we start telling lies about God. We start telling lies about ourselves. We start telling lies about the future, the present and the past we start rewriting some imaginary glorious nostalgic history that we've got to get back to some horrible circumstances that we're in that aren't our fault and that have to be dealt with immediately some weird future that has no basis in reality that if we just figure out a religious way to get there it'll happen We all do this. And it's interesting here, just another aside, they go to Aaron. Why would they go to Aaron? Aaron was Moses' brother. You'd think he'd be the first person to be loyal. Aaron is that mediator. Aaron is the one who introduced Moses to the people. Aaron was the high priest. And that's what we do, right? We go to our religion. We go to our mediators, cultural, religious, societal, personal the health guru, the political prophet, the religious mediator. And we say, I don't like what you got. Give me another God. I don't like that God. I don't like that political party. I don't like that diet. Give me another one. That, that will be the God that leads me out. And we start to fashion God in our own image. We start to make the God who will answer the fears that we are feeling from the feeling of being disconnected with God. Listen, there's more about these people that is very similar to us than any of us, I think, would really care to admit. A couple more thoughts here. Why the calf? Why the the calf? So, of the principal gods of Egypt, the bull was one of the most powerful. The calf represents Egypt. Egypt, thematically throughout the entire Bible, is emblematic of the desire for control, for safety and for ease at the price of freedom. Egypt is always that temptation that says, I will give up not knowing. I will give up faith in exchange for certainty, in exchange for comfort, in exchange for order. And throughout the Bible, you see the temptation of the people who spent 400 years under the crushing oppression of slavery to go back to it. And again, if you don't think that that's our problem, you're not paying attention. Every single one of us, when we get tired, disconnected, fearful, would trade our freedom to go back for certainty to go back for the promise of being taken care of and having the lines clearly drawn. And not only that, there's always the temptation not just to go back to Egypt, but to bring Egypt into here, to set Egypt on this table right here. And that's what the people were doing here. They weren't going back to Egypt. They were bringing Egypt with them. If they couldn't get back to that land, they were going to bring the land to where they were. It wasn't a question. They didn't even become atheists. They didn't all of a sudden say, there is no God. No, they said, we're just going to make God like we can control, like we can understand, like the one that we're comfortable with, like the one that promises the stuff we want. So they make a golden calf. And they do the same worship that they would have done to the real God. They offer the peace offerings and the burnt offerings, the offerings that they were taught. They do the same thing. They just do it to this different God with that. One of the primary things we see here also is that this is a refusal to believe in a God who is a God above tribe and nationality. Look, we get scared and so we want our God. We want a national God. We want an American God or an Arkansan God or a middle-class God or an English-speaking God. Look, tonight we're going to have this coffee house. Emily Lynn, who's organizing this canopy, Northwest Arkansas canopy, I cannot encourage you strongly enough to be here tonight. Jane and I have been involved in doing mission trips for 30 years. We've been to over 30 different countries. Most of the countries that are represented by the refugees who are coming to the United States now, we would never have gained access to, and we certainly can't now, except at a tremendous cost. For those 30 years, we have prayed diligently that the gospel would be shared among these people. And there's a good chance they're going to show up right here. And all we have to do is open our doors and live the gospel among them, in front of them. Y'all, I know this is politically charged. I know there's a lot of discussion that goes on to it. But I'm just going to tell you from a missionary's point of view, I am blown away. I, can, I see this as an answer to a prayer in a way to be able to engage and welcome and share the love of Jesus with people who are oppressed. You'll hear tonight that the refugees who are coming here are the most vulnerable. The most persecuted. The weakest. The vast majority of them are widows with young children. Orphans. Literally. Widows and orphans from some of the hardest places in the world are going to be here looking for someone to welcome them into our society. And to show them what that means. If we don't take advantage of this, if we don't respond to this, we have no business sending a missionary anywhere else in the world. Please be here tonight. Because it's too easy for us to make a God in our image. It's too easy for us as a people to create a cultural deity that puts our wants, our preferences, our way of doing things first. So here's the situation. The people are down here. They're worshiping, it says, and and they worship, and then it's interesting, we had a lot of discussion around this thing, what it it means, they they sat down to drink and got up to play. We won't go into it much, but just imagine, just let me give you some little air quotes around play, (laughs) with what they were doing. Uh, It probably didn't look too much like the worship, let's just say that. So, then God said, so it picks up. So we move down from the plain at the bottom back up to the mountain where, God is enc- where Moses is encountering God. And he says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Look what a stiff-necked people they are. Wow, God, you're being kind of rough there. So now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. And I will make from you a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God and said, "'O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, "'whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt "'with great power and a mighty hand? "'Why should the Egyptians say for evil he led them out "'to kill them in the mountains "'and destroy them from the face of the earth?' Turn from your burning anger and relent of this evil against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and told them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have spoken of. I will give your descendants and they will inherit forever. Then the Lord relented over the evil he had said he would do to his people at which place, at which point, I think Moses, if I can get in his brain just a little bit, would have said something like, et tu, <laughs> Like, Like, and you, God, too? Wait a minute, the people are down here, they're supposed to be worshiping, they're supposed to be taking care of things, and they're all making golden bovines and having orgies on the plain, and now God, the promise keeper, the deliverer, the one who's promised all these things, he wants to wipe them out! Moses is stuck in this weird middle place all of a sudden of having to stand between a rebellious people and an angry God. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine being put in that situation? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like you got in an argument and both sides are being totally irrational? Anybody? Come on, come on, if you got... If you've ever lived with more than just yourself. <laughs> you walk into the room and you listen to both sides of the argument and you go, what? What is going on here? People are acting totally irrationally. <laughs> and you're stuck in the middle. You're having to bargain this thing out. Now, first of all, let's, let's step back for a moment. Do you, is God, is God really going to follow through on what he threatens here? Because as we studied just a few weeks ago, I mean, he was pretty clear that he was going to accomplish through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in that line, this people of Israel, this blessing to the entire earth, this testimony for the salvation of every people, every place. Is he going to turn his back here? Do we come together on a Sunday morning to worship a God who basically can get so riled up over our disobedience, our (laughs) stiff-neckedness? That doesn't sound right, does it? (laughs) That he can get so riled up that he just quickly... Text, Gabriel, wipe him out. I'm done. (laughs) Well, look, we do have evidence that there is a point that sin comes to where it is God's mercy that he executes judgment. We see that. We encounter that. We see it in the flood in Noah. We see it in different places. And indeed, there is going to be a form of justice that is meted out when Moses comes down from the mountain. But I don't think that's what God is doing here. There is a transformation that happens in our hearts when we have to stand up and plead the plight of those who deserve nothing but punishment. There is a transformation that takes place in my heart when I have to stand up and ask for mercy for people who have no business being given mercy. There is a transformation that happens in the way I see things, in the way I understand God, myself, and others. When I stand up on behalf of those who are running in the other direction and beg for mercy and try to remember the humanity and the Imago Day in all of us. And I think, I think that's what's happening here. I think God is inviting Moses to take on what we will come to know as the heart of Jesus and stand in the gap for rebellious and stiff-necked people, a people who are down on the plains telling lies about God, indulging in selfishness. And God invites Moses To take on the heart of Jesus and say, no, God, please remember. No, God, please don't do this. Not because they're good or they deserve it or that anything good is going to happen because we know it keeps going, but so that we, our heart will be transformed. Church, this is what we are invited into. All of us and each of us is invited to become an advocate, a witness to and a witness for, to wrestle. Israel means wrestles with God. And Moses is wrestling with God here. And each of us is invited to into that so what's left I mean what's left when you get to the end of this You've, the world around you is collapsing into lying people about God who all they want to do is just be left alone so they can fulfill their lust and God seems distant and far off because this is the great temptation the great temptation for all of us is what do we do when we feel like God isn't connected, isn't there? What are we left with? Well, a few weeks ago, well, it was this summer, we talked about a quote from Eugene Peterson, and I think it bears repeating here. He said, the only serious mistake we can make when illness comes, when anxiety threatens, when conflicts disturb our relationships with others, is to conclude that God has gotten bored looking after us and shifted his attention to a more exciting Christian. Or that God has become disgusted with our meandering obedience and has decided to let us fend for ourselves for a while. That is the only serious mistake we can make as Christians. That when we pray and we don't feel our prayers are answered, we mistake it for indifference or departure or anger from God. That when we wish so hard for something not to be the way that it is, and we believe so diligently that it defies a good and loving creator's intent, that we give up. And we decide there's got to be another way. And we Distract or addict ourselves away from continuing to stand there and pay attention with that. And while this idea that God never abandoned us or leave us may be one of the easiest things just to assent to in concept, just like it's almost impossible not to start to imagine bad things happening when your person you love doesn't answer your text right away, it is Incredibly difficult to practice. Incredibly difficult to practice. So what's left? What's left when we recognize our own idolatrous inclinations? When we come face to face with our constant penchant for lying about God, ourselves, about our history, our current circumstances, and our future? Well, the promises of God are what is left. They've always been there and they will be there still. The person of Jesus Christ and the testimony of his life among us is what is left. Unlike the people on the plane, we have seen God incarnate and he has dwelt among us. And as we have seen him, we have seen the Father. We've encountered the incarnate God. The presence of the Holy Spirit working among us, in us, and through us, transforming our hearts and bearing witness to the kingdom among us is what is left. Not only do we have the testimony of the person of Jesus, but we have the presence of the Holy Spirit promised to us, dwelling among us and in us as individuals and as a church. The Holy Spirit is here among us. That's what we have left. What is left is a preponderance of evidence that God is alive and active, ruling the universe, and that Jesus is reigning in his kingdom. If only we have eyes to see, ears to hear, wisdom to obey, and hearts to love. That's what's left. So, the questions I want to leave you with I want to leave with myself that I'm sitting with this week. These are the questions I want us to sit with, each of us and all of us. Can we trust God in God's absence? Can we do that? Are we going to be the people, the individuals, and the church? that learns not to mistake the experience of being disconnected with God with really being disconnected from God? Are we going to learn to learn from those times when God seems distracted or angry or far away? Are are we going to do that? Are we going to be that people who can do that? Are we going to be the people willing to wrestle with God so that our hearts will be transformed? Are we going to be people who ask difficult questions? Are we going to be people who give up on saccharine, superficial answers? to complex problems? Are we going to be people who discipline and devote ourselves to a constant, dynamic interaction with the living God so that our hearts are transformed? Are, are we going to do that? And then ultimately, are we going to trust in the promises of God towards us, and not in our own earning, not in our own knowledge, not in our own performance, but are we going to learn to live by faith in who God is and what God has promised and what he is doing among us? Those are the questions that we have to answer if we're going to move forward. Those are the questions that are going to have to be answered for us to grow, to be transformed, and to be the witness that we are called to be in this world. And I would say, I would ask you to sit with those questions this week, but I would also ask you to start finding the answer right here at this table as we share To Today, together, in this communion. Because in a way, those questions have been answered in the person of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Or better, maybe the start to the answer is here. As with everything else, the start is here. The start is in who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing and what Jesus will do and that is evidenced here when you walk up and you take this cracker in this cup you are orienting yourself towards the answer you are turning yourself towards the light you are bringing yourself back into the presence To be connected to God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we'll transition in this time. Our table is open to all who are seeking that answer in Jesus. And Jesus offers it freely without qualification to all of us. We'll also take up an offering during this time. This is a great time to reflect. Don't believe me because what I said. Don't believe me because I have the microphone. Wrestle with this stuff, y'all. Get in your community groups. Get in your devotions. Wrestle with this. And take time now to reflect, to pray, to partake, and to give all to the glory of God. Thank you.